I was just really moved by just everybody coming together. You know, Pastor John asked everybody to share, and I, I, I think for someone who's a talker, I probably went last, and 90 some, 90% of the people shared. It was incredible. Um, I really love the direction that we're moving. And um, last week was probably, when, I think, maybe the first time ever that I raised my hand during worship. Um, I just felt the Spirit moving. I mean, I grew up in a church. My mom can correct me later if I'm misremembering this, but I grew up in a church that we weren't, that we actually split over the idea of raising your hand uh, during worship because the old traditionalists thought that was putting the focus on you and not on God. And it's done in the movement. That's that couldn't be, you know, contrary to what um, is happening here. And I just really feel the spirit moving. And uh, today, John had to call us all back from. Talking, that is not, you know, greeting each other. Uh, that has not happened since I've been here. That's my favorite part. So I take notice to that. Usually we speed around. Good morning, good morning, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, and we move on. And everybody was engaged. He had almost yell on the microphone to get everybody to come back. It's because God is moving and we're connecting more than ever before. And I hope, he, I mean, it's just jazzing me up. So hopefully I can not talk forever today. But um, I do when I'm excited, but... I mean, it's, it's real. I hope you all can sense it. It's incredible uh, what's going on here. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative to John's leadership and his vision on, on getting us. I think Pastor Larry planted the idea of doing life together, but John's really helping us live that out. Um, last week, we went to the farm after church. And, um, you know, John just saying about, you know, being real with each other, and you know, I, I gave Patty a hug. I mean, I don't make it a pri- you know a normal thing to hug another man's wife, but Luke was standing right there the whole time. Um, but uh, just with everything there going on, um, and uh, I just felt moved to give her a hug and let her know that I was thinking about their family. And and you know what? She turned it back on me and said, you know, we miss you. And I was telling her how great Luke, you know, Luke has become a great kid, and she's like. Oh, you're, you were part of that. And she turned it back on me, and I was trying to give them encouragement. And she gave me encouragement. And just how cool is that, um, that we have that opportunity to do that here? And I just, yes, I took a few minutes from my sermon to say that, but I just really wanted to point that out. Um, if you're new with us, keep coming back, because I'd like to get to know you too. Um, this has been incredible journey that we're on right now. And uh, today, we're well, we've been working through... The book of Colossians, and that talks about a small church relatively like us, their journey. I mean, at that point, Colossae was a really big, fertile town going on, and then at the time this book was written, they they were not much left after the roads were changed and moved to the other two focus points along the the coast there, and Colossae was a shell of itself by the time that uh, Paul wrote this letter to them, and they've had they had some rough things going on, and um. But it's not, it's not amongst like ourselves where we went through something. And the people here today are, are the ones that are, are you know, rooted and focused onto our vision and what we're doing here for Christ. So we will continue to grow now that we're, we're a strong-rooted um, plant, so to speak. But if you have your scripture with you, turn to, to Colossians chapter 3. Um, I titled today's thought was uh, Foundation for Being. Um, John 
must have looked at my notes because he started using foundation and focus a lot already. I'm just kidding. It's in my notes, so you'll, you'll see that. But um, if you have your scripture, go ahead and read as I read out loud. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in a knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, being with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you almost, for, almost, all must forgive. Above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for just another day together, gathered together as uh, your family. Um, be with me as I speak, make it your words that come out of my lips and not my own, and just uh, be with everyone as they hear, give them ears to listen, Lord, and, and pierce their hearts with the truth that you may reveal to us today. Just allow us to uh, leave here different than when we came in, and just allow us to continue um, to feel the movement of your spirit in this family, Lord, and allow us to grow in it. In your name we pray, amen. So like I said, I, I call today's thoughts foundation for being. Um, and uh, like I said, Paul was talking to send a letter to the church in Colossae um, to handle something that was going on. And, and they actually never really identified the false teaching at that time that was presenting itself. Um, probably because my opinion and from what I, I studied, it, it was so new in its infancy, it really didn't have a name yet. Um, but you could probably call it maybe Gnosticism, but we won't really get into all those terms. But um, basically the whole idea of this was man was trusting in man and no longer necessarily trusting in Christ. They were finding their ideas and solving their problems by themselves or looking up to the stars or philosophy, new, new ideas of thought, but it was basically men trying to do it on their own. Um, and that's what started to creep in. The focus, as John alluded to, started becoming less and less on Christ and more and more on 
man. So that was what Paul was intending to refute as he penned this letter. It's because of the rising confidence in man's ability to, on the surface, do the things of God, the belief in man's philosophies confronting us today are growing even stronger. Um, We can think about that in our own times. I mean, no New Testament book speaks to it more than the book to the Church of Colossae. It speaks with more relevancy than than any other. Not only do we live in an atomic atomic age, you know, atomic bombs and uh, nuclear power, but we also live in the most technologically advanced age of all time. And we moved out kind of away from the space and all that stuff, but we are in a huge technologically advanced... I mean, I just read the Bible off an iPad. Um, no paper. I have one in my pocket. I have them all over the place. I can have the Bible right there. That's good. But we are in a technologically advanced time more than ever. Um, as in past, these could be the days that we that, that age-old lie that we can be duped by by Satan can come back. Man can still continues its belief in himself and his ability to solve his problems apart from God. I mean, why not? We put a man on the moon. We have a computer in our pocket. We build robots that can sense and replicate human emotion. Right? We're amazing what we can do. However, we're still even trying our quest to duplicate making a human being away from in part how God intended that to be. Um, we got that creativity by Christ, but again, when we focus on ourselves, we can use it for wrong. Um, but man is, like I said, in Paul's time, there was no more suitable person to refute this issue other than the Apostle Paul, except for probably apart from Christ. Um, but Paul was trained. Paul was prepared. God knew he had, I call him the perfect MVP. Uh, in the New Testament. Paul, Paul had, um, he grew up in a Jewish home. He was born in Jewish religion and, and their understanding, and then he was trained in Greek philosophy. Um, he was a student and then became a scholar in Greek understanding and philosophy of what their thoughts um, were. So, We see that throughout Paul's various letters in his speech. He shows great knowledge of the teachings of these schools of philosophy. Even to the point of showing that he became a scholar at note. Um, In the book of Acts, Paul even quotes ancient writers. When he says things like, For in him we lived and move and have our being, it's a direct quote from one of the Greek poems. Paul takes this statement in which the poem, it's a statement about Zeus. But he applies that to the one true God, the God of Israel. In the same verse, Paul also quotes one of the Greek writers, Artis, in the poem, I'll try to pronounce the name, but the Phenomena, uh, when Paul says, for we are also his offspring. So he, he has, apparently, quoting their language to them, demonstrates an understanding, but then he also basically contrasts it with the truth of the Bible. Um, And we know these to be accurate now, so we can only draw from the conclusion. I was going to put a chart on it. It shows all the different um, times in Scripture that Paul took philosophies from the Stoics and the Epicureans and showed 
biblical scripture quotes that contrast those ideas. Um, but it's not really worth the time, but it, if you want to pull it up, there is a chart that you can, um, you can look at. Um, it was from a, a writer, I'll get his name for you quick, um, Frederick Copleston's classic work about history and philosophy. Mickey might want to check it out. That's up his alley. Um, so it just basically the whole point is it shows that Paul um, is the perfect tool for the job. God intended him to do. He was born a Jew, rooted in Jewish tradition, and from a very young age learned the Greek philosophy and the thoughts. Why? So when he was ready and God ordained that, he was the perfect person that could pretty much just give them the dose of their own medicine back and show them, yeah, you might think this, but the Bible says it this way. Um, and the truth of God says it this way. Um, so he, he, he didn't necessarily like tell them they were wrong, but he just kind of curved them and put their focus where it should be. Um, however, through one, one avenue or another, man continues to offer his own man-made solutions for the ills of society, whether in form of secular humanism or religious traditions. But it's Paul who continues to point these philosophies and these ideas back and line them in the truth of the Scriptures to the one answer for their problems is God through Jesus Christ. That's what he keeps doing. That's what he's doing at this, in this, at this moment as well as we're looking into this letter. He's pointing them from relying on their thoughts and their ideas and what they think and they speculate, and he points them back to Jesus. That is the main point. So far in the study of Colossians, we see how Paul contrasts the philosophies of his day with the truth of God's word. He teaches us now to go beyond developing our own philosophy of life, which focuses on humanity, and then to develop our theology, which focuses us on God. Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay the penalty of our sins to give us newness of life. And in that life, we are free to live in the right relationship with God. Colossians 3, 1-17, as I read, the Apostle Paul continues to lay out how we should live our lives as believers firm on the right foundation. And Bill doesn't plan on this, but Bill, what's it all about? <laughs> Very funny. It's all about Christ. We've been saying it, Bill says it in his class all the time. It's all about Christ. Yes, the world says it's all about me. But our focus must and shall be, it's all about Christ. So right in the beginning of this text, we see that Paul sets the whole idea right on the right foundation and focus in verses 1 through 4. Our passage starts with the idea, if then you've been raised with Christ, this phrase is meant as a rhetorical question, and a better way to read it is since. Since you've been raised with Christ. Many other translations use that form, you can also use the word because you've been raised with Christ. But the use of the word since you have been raised with Christ is amazing in a foundational setting phrase that demands our attention. The whole start in this entire thing, train of thought that he's going to conclude with in these 17 verses, he starts it with because you were raised with Christ. He's laying the foundation for the rest of his thoughts. And we, we must really understand that. It's because Jesus that we are positioned now to have fellowship with God. Nothing that we've done. 
gives us that ability. It's all because of Jesus' work on the cross. This phrase puts the focus... um, I'm sorry, I already said that. Can you believe that we were once living in spiritual darkness, living self-centered lives, and with no hope of finding unconditional love? Because apart from Christ, we're not capable of that. But someone shared with every one of us here today the truth, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We were transformed to be the person that God created us to be. Our sins were forgiven. Our bondage to our past was broken. Christ took our transgression and gave us life. We once were hopeless as believers devoted to Jesus. We are raised with Christ to have a life that glorifies God. All because of Christ. We sing those words. We say those things. But do we really, really put that deep in our hearts? It's not about us. We have done nothing. Paul instructs us that once we accept our new position, that our priority in life must be God. We must set our hearts and minds on the things that are above and not on earthly things. Our personal, family, and church priorities must be focused on Christ as He is seated at the right hand of God. Our lives will be transformed If our priority is numeral one, is to glorify God and obey Jesus Christ. The priority will be our filter through how we view the world. That priority must be our filter, how we view the world. This priority will also be the standard in which we evaluate our lives and how we interact with others. The priority will be our measurement of how we use our time and talents. I don't know about you, but I could probably use that standard of measurement sometimes to uh, rein all the comings and goings and all the different things that I put my focus on sometimes. Um, Paul teaches us earlier in his writings that problems and issues arise in our lives when we take our eyes off Christ and make our priorities anything other than Jesus. When we stay focused on the Lord, we will have hope, joy, and peace of mind. It sounds simple as I read it and as I listen to it, but I don't think it's as simple as it sounds. Um, But hopefully as I finish through this, I'll leave you with some hope and some guidance on how we can do it. Uh, Not to be a spoiler alert, but it's going to take all of us. You'll hopefully see that in the end. In Colossians verses 3 through 4, we see that the focus of our identity is that we were dead to our sin, but made alive in Christ. In Christ. The reward for, our be, for being positioned this way is that we have fellowship um, with God and making Jesus our priority, we will appear with Him in glory. The final chapter, it's the final chapter of the story of our lives. We already know that. We know the ending. But what really could be better? What on earth can be any better than being in God with in glory with God eternity eternal? What can be any better? Can today's football game, which I'm pumped for, for the Eagles and the Cowboys, is that better than really spending all eternity with Christ in heaven? 
It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. But I just told on myself. We get there, right? We, we get all wrapped up in the things of earth. And it, it's not a bad thing. Football is not a bad thing, right? It's not drugs or alcohol. It's football. But if that replaces my thinking for today, if I was thinking more about that than what I'm doing right now, I'm in sin. That's become my idol. That's what, that's what this is talking about as well. He's warning us that we can't do these things or we will not have the riches that we are set to have. Or at least as, not, as much as we could have, I guess is the really good point. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, Paul is encouraging us to focus our lives on Christ. Jesus placed us in position to succeed, not to fail. That's a really big, important idea, too, to, to grasp. He gave us the ability to, to succeed because he gifted us the Holy Spirit. And also another thing that I'll point out in the end. So we really shouldn't fail. He guaranteed us that if we make him our top priority, that we will appear with him in glory. Our new identity is that we are alive with Christ in our Savior. He is our Lord and Master. He is one we serve. He's the one whose opinion of us should matter the most. He is the one that we must place our focus and lives on. How many of you sometimes put the opinion of man over the opinion of God? People who struggle with the idea of people pleasing. That's right there. But the idea of living with Christ eternal, um, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, we, we can't get any better. We already know that. It's fantastic. We should be excited about that. But one question pops into my head. How do we live a life that honors and glorifies God? I mean, here in the world, when everything is so right here, so fast, anything I want is in the back of my pocket. I have a computer there. I can get anything I want. Now a little drone will fly to my house. I don't even got to go get it anymore. Um, it's incredible. So how do we really combat the things of this world as they are growing, as they are getting... I hope I didn't just ding that. Okay. Um, as they're growing and, and getting so readily and amazing in the technology and the things that we can do, um, how do we stay true to honor a life that glorifies Christ when we're living within Him? We need to get... Next point, if you're following, because I did put a chart in there, um, we need to get rid of the earthly impulses. Verse 5 and 6 will speak to that. We have to be able to get strong enough that we can resist those earthly impulses. Paul lays out for us specific areas and issues in this text that, that are lives that we need to get rid of. 5 through 6, he instructs us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. If we focus on making serving Jesus our top priority, then we can no longer serve our earthly impulses, desires, and self-centeredness. Again, it has to be all about Him. We have to die to self. We say those things. It's hard to do it every day. The results of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, it's the wrath of God. That's the result. We see that in the text. It's the wrath of God. Our former quest to glorify ourselves leads to death. 
plain and simple. Jesus Christ is the Jesus Christ and only Jesus gives us the ability to serve him instead of ourselves. That's a big key right there. Only Jesus, only Jesus, not anything we do gives us the ability to serve him. Not again, I might have said this before, there's no measurement. Walk how many old ladies across the street. Say how many Hail Marys. There's no measurement. That's a big topic here in what he's writing because man started leaning on man. Man started thinking they could do it. There's nothing apart from Christ that gives us the ability to serve him instead of ourselves. Our nature wants to serve ourselves. We still fight with that. In verses 7 and 8, we need to get rid of the earthly reaction and behaviors. So we have impulses, and then they go to reactions and behaviors. Paul wrote that our old ways of living must be thrown away like garbage. We must get rid of our old ways, thinking and reactions as quickly as yesterday's rotting garbage. We are to put off anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. We must throw away these things because a holy and righteous God cannot be associated with such filth. The light doesn't like darkness. We must replace these with behaviors of the new self, our new identity, for we are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our Creator. So how do we do that? We'll see that in the next couple verses. But one of the biggest things for me, and and this is where I'm going to go in the end of this, is it starts with being real. That's why last week grabbed me so much. I've been saying, I I preached a message a long time ago early on on, uh, standing up here before you guys. I preached a thing called a sermon, I think called Be Real, Get Real, Stay Real, something like that. It was catchy. Um, and um, this is this realness that I saw yesterday, people sharing awful things that they're going through, uh, I think is what adds, giving us the ability to today that we almost didn't even want to stop talking to each other when John called us back. Because people were burying their souls with one another last week. Their hurts and, and good things and bad things. Um, we have to do that. We have to be real with each other through and during our sanctification. That's where Paul is going with this. We must trust each other in our journeys. We can't lie to one another. We can't walk around every Sunday and shake hands and say, I'm doing great. Really? Because that's what I like to say to a lot of us. Really? Everything's perfect. Because in this broken world, I, I would put the odds on the ladder that nothing is per- not everything is perfect. Um, no one outside the family of Christ will understand what it means to die to self or to live as Christ means gain. Nobody outside of the body of Christ is going to understand that. The world's not going to get it. They can't. They have the blinders on. As much as we love our friends and our biological blood relatives, if they are not in the family of Christ, they cannot and will not understand what we are going through as Christians living in today's world. The word used here is renewed. The word screams to me, process. 
He didn't make brand new, boom, you're done, complete. Yes, in Christ we have that ability, but there's still a journey. There's still that renewing and transforming of our old self to the new self. The thing that happened right away was He gave us the ability to do it through Christ. And here's my, not my big point, but here's, I think, big point in this Scripture and where we're heading. We must lean on each other throughout our sanctification. We have to do it together. We are fighting against a world that says, that says, do whatever it takes to be the best. Win at all costs. Also, ourselves that say, I want, I want, I want. Easy and as fast as possible. I want that. I want this. So we're fighting against the world and we're fighting against ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. And I don't know what it looks like in your family, um, but that extended family sometime, that crazy uncle or somebody, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand when you go to some family reunion and you show up an hour late after everyone's left because you, you went to church first. Right? They're not going to understand that. To you, you, you missed all the good dessert because you chose to come and fellowship with your family. I think we miss that in church. I really honestly do. I think we're missing that in today's church because we focus on programs and production and something else that starts with a P maybe. But no, I mean, that's what it is, right? It's all big and grand and the best and what brings and fills the most butts in the seats. That's the idea. But you know what? That's not going to keep them there. It's not. Because of the next part. Um, as we see that. As we move to the rest of it, I mean, church, we have to be here for each other. As we people shared last, last week, there's a lot of rough things going on in this family. And maybe today you might actually be doing really good. But somebody else, maybe next to you or across the way, is not. We have to know that. We have to be there for each other. Because if we're doing our jobs out in the world and living for Christ, we're going to get beat up. And nobody's going to understand what we're going through except for each of us here. I can't go and call you know, crazy Uncle Willie or whoever up and say, hey, this guy just yelled at me and called me a Bible thumper. He's going to say, you are. You know what I mean? Like He's not going to get it. So we have to be here with the, for each other. In verse 11, he, he basically adds an exclamation point on this idea. There is no race or level of spiritual achievement Verse 11 puts the idea here, not only do we need each other, there is no reason that we shouldn't be able to be real with each other because no one in here is better than anybody else. That's, where he's, that's what his point is when he says, Paul uses the word here. In the script he says here. He's referring to us here in the family of Christ. And he caps it off with a reminder that the focus must remain through all the church stuff, Christ must be the focus. That's his point. There's no 
slave-free, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, anybody. There's no race, creed, color, level of spirituality in this room that doesn't allow us to be vulnerable with each other. And real. Because if we do that, if you're struggling today, and sometimes I think, and I might be jumping ahead of myself, but I'm going to roll with it. If I might be doing pretty good today, okay, we get comfortable. Let's admit that. We get comfortable. When things appear and seem like they're going okay, we get comfortable. And our focus is here. Right? And where should it be? Up there. However, the good reminder, not that I need to be excited about somebody else's pain, but if I know someone else in my family is struggling, I'm going to go encourage them. And when I go encourage someone who else is struggling, where am I going to point them? To look up. Well, now, when I'm pointing them to look up, I'm looking up as well. So even though I'm kind of cruising and comfortable, if we stay together and we do this together, we're going to continue to challenge each other to keep looking up. Anybody in here that teaches, Mickey, Bill, Pastor John, you all, we all say you tend to learn more when you're teaching somebody else than when you're the ones being taught. So when you're teaching somebody else or coming along someone else in their sanctification, you're probably going to grow and benefit from it even more than they will. And when you challenge them to look up, you're going to look up as well. And it's a constant reminder that we should need to stay focused on Christ. So as I start my conclusion, I was, I was ten, telling John when I started my... my uh, I had my outline to Jackie on Wednesday far earlier than most of my times. Um, but I've known for weeks I was preaching, so that was really cool. Um, as I started digging through, my outline really didn't stay the way I wanted it or thought it would be. Um, I had seven points and then an application, and I was like, John, I don't know if I can do this all in one week. 17 verses. Um, as I started picking through it and really kind of digging through the text, I realized those last few verses are the application. I don't need any words of mine, of wisdom that I glean from this. The passage does it for me. It's awesome. We see in verses 12 through 15, the application, how we're going to do this is we need to put on godly behaviors. We are now empowered to put on the virtues of Christ. In verses 12 through 14, Paul wrote that since we are in Christ, we can now walk in the virtues that come from Jesus. We can be people of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can bear with one of each, uh, another. We can forgive one another as the Lord first forgave us. And we are unified by that love of Christ. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you became an adoptive member of the family of God. Our priorities of life are changed from self-serving to serving the Lord. Our identity is now that we are a servant of Christ. We are now in the family and the business of serving Christ. So I think it's not a stretch to say if God wrote these directions to us to have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, 
with one another that He knew there would be a time we would need them. I don't know about any of your families, which I probably would just say if it's similar to mine, which we are human, that we get irritated at one another. When you spend 24 hours a day with people, you start getting a little on each other's nerves. And if you were really good at it when you were a kid like me, I knew how to push every one of the buttons of my older sisters. And that is like the job of the bratty little brother. And I was the master. But we just do that, right? Well, as we start becoming closer and we start being vulnerable with each other, which is happening, which is amazing. But God in His infinite wisdom knows when we truly become a family, there is going to be times that we are going to need to exercise these new muscles of these skills right here. And we've had it a little bit over the time through, or through uh, Living Legacy. We've had it. Just a little bit. But we need to remember to be kind with one another when they share things and not immediately become your, somebody's judge. Because that's not our job. We need to remember to be humble and have humility when somebody who God is challenging to be step out and be a, a Sunday school teacher who is completely out of their comfort zone, but you've done it for 30 years, they might not do it your way. But you need to be humble and allow God to grow them in that and maybe come alongside and help. They might not do it exactly your way. That's okay. We have to have patience. And look, folks, honestly, and I'm, I'm running out of time. I thought it would be pretty fast, but I'm really getting it. A couple weeks ago, John turned these chairs around. That has split churches in the past. I guarantee it. I know the changing of the color of carpet has because I went to that deacon meeting way back when I was in school. My professor was a person who did pastoral care. And they had some crazy issues over really... Stupid things in my mind, but changing chairs, raising a hand during, during uh, um, singing songs, I've seen that break an entire church apart because the focus was on man and stupid things and physical stuff. It had nothing to do with God. So normally this would have rocked everybody. Change. It's like the bad word to say in church. Change. That's because we don't have any patience or gentleness with people. We want it our way, or how we become, nor you know how we're used to it. Well, that's selfish. I thought this is a great idea, changing, because now I don't have to look around to see how everyone's doing and try to watch your facial expressions as I'm feeling challenged. You know, and I'm not doing that to judge. I'm doing that to identify with my family. Now I can see each other's faces, and I can watch it. I can watch you feel and hurt and sense and or even be so excited that the Spirit of God is moving because I can see each other. That's awesome. But that could have destroyed a church. Just moving chairs around. I know it's crazy, but I've, I, I'm sure it says happened. By your reactions, you would agree with me on that. Um, but he knew there would be a time we would need these things. So God doesn't really think we're all perfect in this room. He knows that. But we can't miss this. This was written to us. This is not a message of how we deal with the outside world. This is how we deal with each other. We need to exercise these muscles and skills with our family 
That's a big takeaway out of this. For me, I don't know why I just always skipped over that idea or assumed that these things that he's telling us to do is kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. I just assume that's how I'm supposed to deal with the world and the unsaved people. Yeah, I mean, I, I need to be the light. But this is written in context to us on how we function as a group. Not the, the outside world. There's instructions for that as well. But this context is written to the family of God. So how do we make sure this happens inside of these walls? And I use these walls as the church isn't this building. We all know that. We have to stay rooted in God's truth and give Him credit where credit is due. As we wrap up the last two verses, that's where the focus has to be. We can put on the character of Christ as mentioned by Paul. We must stay humble and allow Christ his correct position. The neat thing to notice is Paul ends this with the way he began this topic, and that is pointing to Christ. He says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is tricky though, because Paul is challenging the church not to take their eyes off Christ and become confident in man. But let's be real, when things are going good, that's when that happens, when we get comfortable. But he wants us to get better at these things. So there's where the trick is, and that's where what I said earlier is jumped ahead of myself, but that's when we have to focus on coming alongside each other. We can't do it by ourselves. Because I might be sitting back getting comfortable because things on the surface are going good. And my view is here and not here. But then when somebody opens up and they're vulnerable to me because they trust me and they're comfortable sharing, it reminds me that I am just a minute from being in that right same position possibly. And I can come alongside and help that person focus back up where it needs to go. And that takes me there as well. And that's what he's telling us. My main point of the application is we need to stay rooted and even more grounded in the Word. Because that's where we're going to get the teaching and the understanding of these concepts. And understanding where the good comes from. Because when we are good, it's blessing from God. The bad as well. It comes from God too. But we also need to stay connected with each other. Because, let's face it, living in this world is hard. It's very hard. Living against the norm. Doing things that other people might say, it's, it's crazy. And, we, and, and then we can point them to Christ. We can do that. Because they're going to see something is different. We're going to be doing good but they can come in here, I'm telling you right now, church, I'm, I'm being really honest. Walking into this room today, I felt a way different spirit. I did. I, I, I don't know, I can't explain it. I think I can explain it, but I'm not going to try. i got a minute left. But I just feel a whole different spirit. I don't know, I mean, I'm not saying we were doing wrong before, but I just, I sense it. I feel it. I hope you do too. I'm excited to walk in this church. I am. I truly am. It, it's just, I don't know. There's, it's just, I can tell. I really can. And it's exciting. We have to be intimate with each other because we have intimacy with Christ. 
That's, that's also going to help us. We have to be intimate with it. Last week was intimate. I know that's a taboo word or whatever, but it was really cool. I, I mean, I just love the emotion and just the realness. I didn't love watching people in pain, but I loved that they were vulnerable and cared enough for all of us to share so we could help them. We say the power of prayer. Yeah, putting something on a prayer log is one thing, but really doing it in an open forum like that, that shows a level of trust and connection that I, I just, I don't know how what words to say. And this is definitely something churches are missing. They really are. So that's that's it. I mean, there it is. It's 12 o'clock. Um, I made it. But um, honestly, folks, I, I just really enjoyed... Um, it's not by happenstance that John put us in Colossians when he did. Um, it's just another really cool telling side that John is focused in on the Word and his vision as he's crafting where we need to go and using God's truth to support um, us in, in as we change and, and continue our our um, journeys. But I challenge us. I mean, today my my um, my last idea is I'm just challenging us to really continue this walk, but. Make sure we stay connected um, through our small groups, through being real and vulnerable. I know John's probably going to continue some of the things. I, I think he change, likes to change up stuff, but um, I love the fact that nobody wanted to leave talking to each other today during the greeting time. Um, and that's going to be my measuring stick when I when I come in and sense if the Spirit's moving. Um, because that just shows me we're, we're really becoming tight. And um, that, that's going to really help us stay through and wade through the muck and the garbage of this world. We have to do it together. It sounds cliche, but it's the truth. And I, I really do believe that that's where the church is missing it. So I hope you, I mean, if you see me, challenge me. Ask me how I'm doing and, and really say, no, how are you really doing? Um, ask me something like, What's something you're struggling with right now? I'll tell you, we all have struggles. We can't put that facade out there when people come in. Because that's what the world does. They walk around and they make everything look so good. With makeup and computers now that can edit your face and Botox, whatever, all that stuff is. Make everyone look their very best to cover up the truth. We can't do that here. Because the world's going to notice that. They don't want the world. That's why they're coming here. Right? They know something is not right where they're at. And they're searching. We have to find them. We have to help them. But we can't bring them into something dysfunctional either, which I don't think we are. This is great. This is the right time to bring people in. So that's my challenge today. Can you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, thank you so much for this day, God. And uh, I thank you that we could just come together Uh, today and gather again in your name. I pray that you continue to remind us that it's all about you. It's not about us, Lord. It's not about this building, this property, these programs or things that we do, Um, but it's to serve and honor and glorify you, Lord, because you are a just and holy God. Give us strength to uh, continue to lean on each other, be real with each other, truly, truly, genuinely care about one another. We chose to be in this family here at Living Legacy. 
we weren't born into it biologically. We were born into it spiritually. But we chose this group of people. Just give us the strength to continue to choose them and be real and vulnerable. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.